Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. Hope you're doing well. FreeDomainRadio.com slash donate. Please, please, please help us out. If you find this philosophical conversation essential to the world, important for you, please put your money where your mind is. FreeDomainRadio.com slash donate. I had a bit of a no-show today. There was a lady supposed to call in with her boyfriend to talk about significant conflicts they were having in their relationship about the migrant crisis in Europe. And uh, she ended up not showing up. I think she felt uncomfortable. And we talked about why she might not be there and what you should and perhaps should not put up with in terms of how disputes are resolved in a romantic relationship. Second caller, fine lady from Eastern Europe saying, what, has Western Europe gone mad? Here we are stuck between the Scylla and Charybdis of Western Europe, which appears to be committing democracide, and Russia, which has not traditionally been a great friend of Eastern Europe, at least in the 20th century. And we talked about some causes, some solutions, and what might be a rational course of action for some Eastern European countries to take in the face of this modern madness. Thank you so much for listening. As always, remember, freedomainradio.com slash donate. All right. Well, up first is Patrick. Patrick wrote in and said, My girlfriend and I have had some intense discussions when confronting the issue of immigration concerning Middle Eastern refugees to Europe. The tension arises when arguing where the line for helping or not helping these people is drawn. I have a low tolerance to these people in Islam, and my girlfriend has a high tolerance, believing that these are people in need and that they can change. As I keep arguing, for instance, that we need to turn the boats to Greece back, uh, I will, in the worst case, be called by her a racist, egoist, and heartless and cruel. But usually I will be told that I am too obsessed with immigration, that she is tired, that I am tiring. Tired? And I should not... All right. <laughs> And that I should not give arguments that apply to emotions when arguing that a bomb could explode and kill our families, as happened in Brussels. How can we continue as a healthy couple with our respective beliefs? Is it even possible? The disagreements currently are at a point where they are an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object. That is from Patrick. And Patrick's girlfriend was going to join him on the call, but uh, decided not to at the somewhat last minute. So, welcome to the show, Patrick. Thank you very much. And uh, hi, Stefan. Hi, Patrick. Uh, I'm sorry uh, that your girlfriend chose not to join the conversation, which seems to me like a very important conversation. What uh, what was her issue with it? Yeah, me the same. Um, I was talking to her about it this morning. Uh, if she wants to come along, but she said that she changed her mind. She's uncomfortable about it. She's not sure that her knowledge is good enough. Not sure about her English. So it's um, her knowledge is not good enough. Uh, what does that mean? Does that mean that if I put up arguments or facts about uh, Islamic migrants, that she wouldn't be able to respond? Is that right? She wouldn't yeah, have good I enough information. I think she's a little bit afraid to be proven wrong, perhaps. She's afraid that we are going to team up against her. Although I told her we're going into this as a team. No one is opposing each other. And I think it will be a great experience for us. For us. I think we need this. But, uh, but help me understand something, Patrick. I'm, I'm a little confused. Um, she's certain enough of her position to call you a racist, uh, to, I can't remember the other terms, that egoist, heartless, heartless, and cruel. Cold. 
Yeah. yeah. So so she's certain enough of her position to call you truly horrible and insulting names and names that to me would end a relationship. But nonetheless, she's certain enough of that position to verbally attack you in the most significant fashion. But she's not certain enough to talk to me. I'm I'm a little, help me understand that. Yeah, it's, um, it's a good question. I, I should put it for her because I think that when we have discussions that go this far, I, I'm not sure. Um, she still has the position that this is a very bad uh, thing that I believe in, that we cannot help these immigrants, all of them. It would be bad. Um, but I think she gets into the violence of her emotions a little bit. You know what I'm saying? She, she yeah, says Yeah, I think things. basically what you're saying, sorry, Patrick, to sum it up, sorry to interrupt. Basically what you're saying is that she has control over you because you're in a relationship with her. And so you have vulnerabilities and susceptibilities. She doesn't have control over me. Yeah. And certainly if she tried to pull that emotionally abusive crap on me, it wouldn't work. So yeah. I think that what she's doing is she's sending out the radar and saying, well, I can control Patrick, but I don't think I could control Steph. Uh, and that's not you know, because I'm some superhero. It's just because I'm not in a relationship with her. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be about four nanoseconds after she called me a racist, but that's probably what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that, that does make sense to an extent. Uh, the, the thing just is that, um, we've been together for three years soon and, uh, I have come to learn her as a very logic person, a very honest person. And she, she is open to new things. <sighs> It's it's uh, frustrating. Um, when it well, let me let me ask you this before we get into the substance of this. And I I have trouble with you calling her super rational when she's calling you a racist for having concerns. Does she pay a lot of money in taxes? Um, she, I don't think she's been taxed yet. She has had a job as a secretary. Ah. Yeah. Okay, so she's not really being taxed, and, and she's probably gaining more benefits from government than she's paying in taxes, like a lot of people do, right? Yes. Now, if there does turn out to be, let's take a hopefully never happen worst-case scenario, let's say that there's some kind of civil war in Europe between Muslims and non-Muslims, as there has been in, I don't know, dozens of other countries where Muslims have come in. Let's say that there is a civil war. Will she be drafted? She will not be drafted. She will not be drafted. All right. So she's not paying any money to house the migrants, and she's not exposed to any risk of being drafted should things turn ugly, right? Yeah. So why would we bother listening to her at all? She's got no skin in the game. She's got nothing. She can say, I want to help the migrants, but is she actually going down to the no-go zones or to where all the migrants are, and helping them herself. Um, a little bit she actually is, because she's participating in serving them food. The immigrants in Greece, she's, um, she's working at that, helping with cutting. Okay, so she takes money from her own paycheck and buys them food, is that right? Um, or is it the she, government that is giving the food, and she's just down there handing it out? In the big picture, I think it's a private organization, but uh, in the big picture, she does not. She just bought some pasta and she has been cooking. But yeah, 
It's okay, like, so she is not either paying or at risk of any at risk of any susceptibility to the draft as there's a conflict, and she's not really doing much herself to help them. She's going out and handing out some soup. And how often does she do that? Yeah, that's true. I think it's once or twice per week. Yeah. Oh, all right. So that's that's something, I guess. But she's got no skin in the game, and I generally I don't take stock advice. I don't take stock advice at all. But if I did, I wouldn't take stock advice from people who don't have any money in the market. Yeah. Right? You have to have some skin in the game, as they call it, which means you have to have some negative consequences to being wrong. You know, we all, oh, if the, if the banks make bad bets, they shouldn't get a bailout. Well, why? Because there's no moral hazard. There's no negatives if she's wrong. Like, let's say that she's wrong, and we can make the case in a minute or two, but let's say that she's wrong. And it doesn't work out. She's not paying taxes anyway, so it's not like her taxes are going to go up. She's not going to be drafted to do any fighting. So, so why? I'm not sure why, why her opinion would matter if you know we weren't like if if I wasn't since I'm not having sex with her. I'm not sure why her opinion would would matter in this area where she suffers no negative consequences really for being wrong. Yeah, it's true. Uh, what do you think about? Um uh, her ability to see the consequences of the future that if a Muslim um, immigration would result in Sharia law, for instance, that she would have to uh, have a, a burqa on and be subject to male violence against her and uh, in general losing her freedom. She can see that, I, I think, if she just doesn't believe it. She doesn't. Wait, but sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't mean to sound harsh. But uh, I'll be I'll be blunt. What freedoms will she lose, Patrick? She's not able to think clearly. She's not able to listen to rational arguments. She's conforming to the general prejudice. She's putting on all of this consequence-free virtue signaling. She won't listen to reason. She won't listen to evidence. And she viciously attacks you for speaking your mind and bringing your reason and evidence or reason and evidence to the debate. So if some sort of more totalitarian ideology takes over her life, she's already living in a totalitarian ideology in that she is not free to even listen to counter evidence to her emotional prejudices. So she's already a fundamentalist of feels, mm. right? Which is not uncommon in women. The fundamentalism of feels, that is what is so common in these areas. And the fundamentalism of feels... I feel, I'm offended, I'm upset, you're heartless, you're cold. I don't care about people's feelings fundamentally. That's not the job of philosophy. That's the job maybe of a therapist. It's not the job of a philosopher. A philosopher must deal with facts, objectivity, reason, and evidence. I mean, there's no scientific proof called, I really feel like this should work. <laughs> right? I mean, it doesn't. I really feel like this bridge should stay up says the engineer, I don't care about your feelings. I care about whether I'm going to end up sucking seawater if I drive over your bridge. And so if you're already living in an emotional environment where you can't handle the truth and you attack people for bringing you arguments that make you emotionally uncomfortable and you fail to show up to a show, which is very important to your boyfriend because it makes you feel uncomfortable, well... What freedoms would she lose under Sharia law? How free is she to think and express herself in a rational manner at the moment? Yeah. 
I, I guess that's that makes sense, you know. Um, yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure if if it's true that. I'm sorry. Let me let me just. I'm sorry to interrupt, but let me just get this thought off before I forget. Yeah. Political correctness is a form of emotional totalitarianism. It's punitive totalitarianism. It is you damn well toe the left wing party line, or we will screw you up. To put it, <laughs> not using an f bomb, yeah. we will attack you. We will destroy your reputation. We will try and separate you from your source of income. We will try and get you fired. We will harass you. We will send you death threats. We will send you other threats. We will dox you. We like things that happen. Yes. When you go again. So the reason why Europe does not see the danger of fundamentalist Islam is because it has spent a generation or two not fighting the fundamentalist leftist totalitarian ideology of political correctness. Yes. Where, where there are people who say, well, anyone who's a climate skeptic, skeptic about climate change, should be put in prison, should be heavily sanctioned. This yeah. is already, it's already an emotional totalitarian state insofar as basic facts about reality are screamed down through career-destroying verbal abuse and attacks. But you can't say basic facts about race and IQ, gender and IQ, the bell curve. I mean, the list goes on. You can't talk about basic things like um, the reality of communism, you know, why is everyone who's – everyone I hate is, is Hitler? But nobody ever brings up Stalin. You can't bring up Lenin or Stalin because, see, those are – you can't talk about it. It's always got to be Hitler, not Lenin or Stalin. So she's already living in a totalitarian ideology called political correctness. What the hell would Islam take away from her? <sighs> yeah, well – You can't criticize the prophet. No, you can't criticize leftists, feminists. Multiculturalists, race realist deniers. You you can't criticize global warming. You can't like you can't you can't. So freedom of speech has already been stripped from vast majority from the vast majority of important topics in the West. There is no practical freedom of speech for the vast majority of people. And I get these messages all the time, and I'm sure you feel it too. Where people say, "Well, I'd like to speak out about it, but I could get a visit from the police. I could lose my job. I could lose my income. I could lose my family. I could lose my freedom. I could lose my reputation. I could, right? So the most important issues in the world, civilization, fork in the road, barbarism versus a continuation of civilization, these topics, there is no functional freedom of speech because we turned over the universities to the leftists. We, we bought off their revolutionary talk with tenure, and all they did was burrow in and spit out the culture which programs the women, which programs the men, which programs the self-destruct. Yeah. Um, I think, actually, she does take uh, some of the arguments. She's clear about that you cannot take all these immigrants in. Um, I showed her the video where you talk about that Europe is a set of beliefs that we have fine crystal here, which cannot take a lot of violence against them. It, it will break down. Yeah. A lot of beer will get you drunk. And in the end, if you drink too much, you will actually die. Um, she understands this. Uh, her question then is to me that what are we going to do about these refugees? 
can we all just place them in Turkey? Are we really supposed to send the boats back? How, how do we continue this? And who is responsible? Is it the politician? She thinks the system. She thinks, but I also no. Use she your, she is yeah. responsible. Yes, exactly. She is responsible. She and all the people like her who shout down and scream down and verbally abuse down legitimate discussions about the future of the civilization that protects them. Mm-hmm. Not she individually, but this type of thinking. And she certainly, you know, how many grains of sand does it take to make a beach? Well, if you're a grain of sand by the shore, you're certainly part of the definition, right? Yeah, that's right. It has to start from the bottom up. I believe this just the same. Uh, yeah. Now, I've made the case, if, if you wanted to hear this, that if you do want to help the migrants, then it is far cheaper and far more efficient and effective to help them in the Middle East than to bring them to Europe. Um, it, you can help 12 families. For, for every dollar you spend, you can help 12 families in the Middle East for every one family you bring to Europe. Yeah. In the Middle East, they share the language, they share the climate, they share the culture, they share the history, they share the religion. Particularly Saudi Arabia, right, which has huge tent cities for the pilgrimages to Mecca, air-conditioned, lovely, could take in all of these people and won't. And won't. And in fact, is funding to build mosques in Europe. Why? Why? Because Islam has already expanded into dozens of countries. It's like 58 or 60 countries that Islam has moved into and taken over. Does Europe really think they're done? It's a worldwide ideology. It is the religious equivalent of communism. It is a worldwide full dictatorship. It is not cultural in terms of, like, it is not cultural in terms of it's local. It is a universalist philosophy or ideology, like communism. Communism was a world-conquering ideology. And Islam is a world-conquering ideology which has been at war with Europe for 1,400 years. And the idea that they're just going to stop? I mean, all you have to do is listen to what the imams are saying, that they are looking forward to going to Europe, having lots of kids, destroying and destabilizing the countries by driving deficits and debts and bankruptcies, and then taking over. Again, does this mean every Muslim? I don't, it doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Lots of people, even in the Nazi party in Germany, really opposed Nazism, but were just kind of there because they wanted to survive and didn't want to get shipped off to a concentration camp. It doesn't matter. You don't look at the individuals, you look at the ideology. And it is truly tragic what has happened to the Middle East. And partly it is the fault of people in the Middle East and partly it is the fault of Western powers. So if your girlfriend wants to do something intelligent rather than just preen herself morally and destroy her own civilization potentially because she wants to have moral good feels in the moment, then um, she needs to start advocating for a non-interventionist foreign policy in Europe and in North America. Bring the troops home, get the troops out of Saudi Arabia, stop all this nonsense, disentangle, disengage everybody. Back to your corners. That's how it has to work. And uh, there were, of course, long-lasting cultures and civilizations in the Middle East. And there are tragic examples, of course, of more secular and more progressive 
cultures relatively recently in the Middle East, like in Iran, and uh, certainly in places in Iraq in the 1950s, women could go to college and um, become professionals. And, it, you know, this, this fundamentalism has come out for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Some of it is local and some of it is Western imperialism. There are other factors involved as well. But Europe needs to go home and America needs to go home. You, you, we can't, you can't spend the rest of eternity trying to hold back irrational and now violent warring tribes. Can't. I mean, the longer that the Europeans stay there, the more aggression there is in the Middle East, the more traumatized people in the Middle East get, and the more traumatized they are, the more violent they'll become. And uh, Europe's uh, intervention and North America's continual interventions into the Middle East is uh, just creating these endless gruesome cycles. So Saddam Hussein was really bad, but he was pretty much better than ISIS. And so they say, well, we'll take out Saddam Hussein, and then they'll be just like us. You see, people in the Middle East, people in Iraq, they're just like us, except they have a dictator. And so if you get rid of the dictator, then it'll be like when Germany got rid of, uh, or the Allies got rid of Hitler in Germany. Ah, look, now they've become just like us. No, that's not how it works in the Middle East. There's a different culture. There's a different biology in the Middle East. There is consanguinity, which is uh, cousin marriage, which shaves 10 to 16 to 18 IQ points off the entire population, which means that people in the Middle East in general have lower IQs than American blacks. And American blacks aren't doing that well and have not integrated and have not flourished in Western society. And, you know, part of that is due to historical legacies small part of that may be due to some vestigial racism, but a large part of that is due to the fact that there are standard deviation on average below Westerners uh, or whites in IQ. So it's not going to work. Bringing low IQ populations with extremely irrational and aggressive ideologies into Western civilization, it literally is like opening the tiger cage on Children's Day at the zoo. Yeah. It does make sense, all of this. Um, I've studied it a lot as well. Um, Last thing I wanted to mention, then I'll turn it back to you. Yeah. This is an article from Breitbart, which uh, we can link below. And I won't read the whole article, but it's probably something worth mentioning. So this is um, the former head of Britain's Equalities and Human Rights Commission, Trevor Phillips. Trevor Phillips, I say, what, what? has admitted he, quote, got almost everything wrong on Muslim immigration in a damning new report on integration, segregation, and how the followers of Islam are creating nations within nations in the West. Phillips, a former elected member of the Labour Party. Oh, look, he's on the left. Who could have guessed? A former member of the Labour Party who served as the chairman of the, what is it, uh, Equalities and Human Rights Commission. Boy, there's something Orwellian, eh? From 2003 to 2012, we'll, pre we'll present, quote, what British Muslims really think on Channel 4 on Wednesday. An ICM poll released to the Times ahead of the broadcast reveals, quote, one in five Muslims in Britain never enter a non-Muslim house. 39% of Muslims, male and female, say a woman should always obey her husband. 31% of British Muslims support the right of a man to have more than one wife. 52% of Muslims did not believe that homosexuality should be legal. 23% of Muslims support the introduction of Sharia law rather than the laws laid down by Parliament. Writing in the Times on the issue, Phillips admits, quote, 
Liberal opinion in Britain has for more than two decades maintained that most Muslims are just like everybody else. Britain desperately wants to think of its Muslims as versions of the great British Bake Off winner, Nadia Hussein, or the cheeky chappy athlete Mo Farah. No idea who those are. But thanks to the most detailed and comprehensive survey of British Muslim opinion that conducted, we now know that just isn't how it is. And, um, uh, you know, we can link to the article, you can read more. And the numbers are much higher. I mean, the, the, these numbers are shocking enough, but the true numbers are much higher for the simple reason that Islam perfectly permits lying to non-Muslims, to advanced Muslim causes. So um, these are just the honest Muslims um, who I guess are not following Islam as much as they should, or maybe they're moderate Muslims. And he also said, we estimated that the Muslim population of the UK would be approaching 2 million by 2020. We underestimated by nearly a million. And uh, he said, for a long time, I too thought that Europeans Muslims, sorry, Europe's Muslims would become like previous waves of migrants, gradually abandoning their ancestral ways, wearing their religious and cultural baggage lightly and gradually blending into Britain's diverse identity landscape. I should have known better. Well, you know, you didn't need to read tea leaves or be able to see through a time tunnel into the future. You just needed to read some history. And what is uh, terrible, he says, Mr. Phillips even acknowledges that the mass sexual grooming and rape scandals that are plaguing heavily Muslim populated towns across Britain are because of Muslim, not Asian men. Right? Like in Europe, they say that the criminals are men of southern complexion, whatever that means, right? So he writes, the contempt for white girls among some Muslim men has been highlighted by the recent scandals in Rotherham, Oxford, Rochdale, and other towns. But this merely reflects a deeply ingrained sexism that runs through Britain's Muslim communities. In a nod to those who have long protested this to be the case in the face of political, media, and even police cover-ups. And um, left-wing columnist Yasmin... Alibahai Brown told him, quote, we liberal Muslims are a dying breed in 10 years. There will be very few of us left unless something really important is done. Phillips comments, some of my journalist friends imagine that with time, the Muslims will grow out of it. They won't. And so, yeah, I mean, look, the the first wave of uh, Muslims, I mean, there are three waves to Muslim uh, conquering of other countries. The first, of course, is that when Muslims are very much in the minority, uh, they are instructed to um, say that Islam is a religion of peace and to be as nice and as pleasant to the host country as possible and to create good impressions of Muslims with the hopes, of course, of the governments uh, allowing uh, more Muslims in. Oh, look, they're wonderful, they're great, and so on. And then they start to challenge, right, as their numbers grow and their influence increases, they start to challenge, create their own uh, uh, sort of separate Sharia law, no-go zone communities and so on. And after that, you know, there's just a general aim for for taking over. And the last thing that I'll say, I've not vetted this, but I'm going to read it anyway. This is what a listener wrote, a listener to this show wrote recently. And I hope this is not going to come true, but this is somebody much more experienced in these matters than I am. And he wrote, here is what will happen to Europe. Remember Yugoslavia and how it ended in a bloody war between Orthodox Serbs, Catholic Croats, and Muslim Bosniaks? Now remember that Serbs, Croats, and Bosniaks are of the same origin, the same group of people. They speak the same language. They have the same mentality. They have been living with each other for over a thousand years. They are genetically the same. And they have the same culture, except for religion. 
Yugoslavia was first European Union and it ended because of the USA, but that's a different story. Now you have immigrants that are completely of a different origin, different mentality, different ethnically. They speak different, a different language and a lot of them hate Europeans and there are lots of other differences. When their numbers get high enough and they can feel their strength in numbers, then everything is going to go to hell. You ask why? Because they will be discriminated against by Europeans, which will make them angry. Let's put it simply like this. It will be the biggest massacre in human history. They will not win, of course, but tens of millions of Europeans will die in the conflict. We Serbs are soon joining Russia, so I can say only one thing. Good luck and goodbye. Wow. That's quite a, a prediction. Uh, it sounds accurate. So, um, I, I, I kind of, uh, you know, you have already said it that this affects my relationship, that you would leave her in a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm... He's calling you cold-hearted yeah. racist. Yes. I mean, um, an egoist, I don't even know if she knows what that means, but if she has that language competence, she should be chatting. Racist, egoist, and heartless, and cruel. You are a cruel human being. And women, look, I think it's a wonderful thing in women. I, I do. I think it's a beautiful thing in women, their capacity for empathy and sympathy. I, I, I get it. You know, every woman, or most women, who look at that drowned boy, uh, um, the, the father was a human smuggler and was trying to get to Canada and overloaded the boat and did all kinds of stupid stuff. And uh, if, he'd tried to done, if he'd tried to do that in the West, he'd be in jail for, I assume, reckless endangerment. But that little boy who was drowned, of course, women look at that and say, that could be my child. And they feel an outpouring of sympathy and of affection. And it's a beautiful thing. I mean, this is why women can make such great moms, right? It's, it's this empathy and this borderless capacity to fuse with other human beings. It's kind of what's needed, particularly in infancy. It's a beautiful aspect of human nature. Yes. But it's blind as hell when it comes to dealing with hostile cultures. It is. It is. It is. It is a photograph of still image, irrational sympathy. There's no moving pictures where what happens over time. You know the. Um, I think it was ninety percent of young Muslims in one of the no-go zones in Europe. Ninety percent of them thought that the Brussels terrorists were heroes. Yes. I mean, people need to really understand that. And this, you know, there's the empathy, which is short term and, oh, you know, a kid drowned. And of course, nobody wants a kid to drown. It's a terrible thing to happen. But I mean, people die all the time in the world. I mean, if we just try and solve all problems, we end up with nothing. But people really need to understand that in Star Wars, Europe is the Death Star for a lot of these this group. And you know how you cheer when the Death Star explodes? 
Spoiler. <laughs> you know, I mean, people need to understand that this is... We are, like, Europe is the West is the Death Star. And, and I'm not saying they're wrong, right? I mean, in terms of foreign policy and all that, it's been brutal. You mean the Death Star as in we have the choice to destroy another planet? No, no, no it's just they cheer in when it blows up. Yeah. What blows up? Here what we go. Here we go. I've, here we go. So majority of Muslim students thinks Brussels terrorists are heroes, say teachers. Teachers working in the predominantly Muslim districts of Molenbeek and Sharbeek in Brussels have reported that 90% of their students, 17 and 18 years old, called the Islamist terrorists who attacked Paris and Brussels heroes. Hmm. Heroes. Hero. 90% of the young people call the Brussels terrorists heroes. Yeah. How's that going to work? That's awful. That's It's only going to drag it out into encouraging more extreme things, I suppose. More Well, this is the younger people. I mean, a lot of them were probably born in Brussels. Yeah. <sighs> so we can see where this leads. Well, we should at least be able to see it. So there's two possibilities, Patrick. Either you are this absolutely terrible, horrible, racist, selfish, cold-hearted human being, which I guess begs the obvious question, why is she with a bad person? If, she, if you really are the bad person that she says, then you need to leave her because you're toxic and destructive and a horrible human being. Right? Now, if you're not a bad human being, then she's calling you all of these horrible names unjustly. And then my question is, and excuse my bluntness here, Patrick, why the fuck does she have infinitely more compassion for Muslim illegal immigrants than she does for her own boyfriend of three years? Where's all this famous compassion for you? You're right, it's... Wow, I'm, I don't even know. It's it's tough stuff to recognize, and I'm uh, I don't even know if you know. I don't know if it's the truth. I I believe that she's a very rational person that she can that she can see the truth. She has perhaps issues with it, especially when when I present her to it. I I don't know. It's just me. Okay. Well, look, I, I, don't, I don't particularly care about her feelings, and I don't particularly care about your feelings either, Patrick. I'm trying to be objective yes. with you on this. Because you keep interrupting my pointing out of basic facts with the advertisement for the virtues of your girlfriend. And I don't care what you say. I only care what she does. Right? And if she is calling you these names, and she is wildly sympathizing with Muslims who would, if they had the chance, have cut off her clitoris when she was a girl, then I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what to say. If she has far more compassion for them, and not only has no compassion for you, but is willing to viciously insult you and denigrate your entire character and call you an evil human being, basically. If she's willing to viciously attack you, 
and sympathize with those who wish to dominate and control her. And wife abuse in Islamic communities is ridiculously high. Like, and also, I think it was like 99% of Egyptian women, 95 or 99% of Egyptian women have complained about being sexually harassed. Yeah. So if she loves Muslims and hates you, you can't possibly convince me that she is a rational and empathetic human being. No. Okay. I have sort of two questions then. Um, the first one would be, do you think that it's irrational? Do you think it's immoral of her to be helping these refugees to be serving them food while they are stuck in Greece? Uh, I have no idea why that matters. Why, okay. why does it matter? She's not initiating force against them. Yeah. She's not initiating force. I mean, she's using government resources, but we all have to do that to survive in a state of society. But well, it's, that, that's the least of my concerns about who she hands food to. I guess that doesn't matter. Um, no. Well, my other question, it would be, if your wife told you one day, if she decided in her mind that she thinks you are racist for saying these things about Muslim people, the refugees, whatever, would you be able to leave her in a heartbeat? Would you, how would your feelings be about it? I mean, how would you take it? You mean if my wife were the opposite of who she is? I can't, I can't conjecture a hypothetical, right? I mean, that's so far outside my experience, belief in and faith about and love of my wife that um, I, I, is it, is it tough? It's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Very, it's very tough. I mean, I sympathize enormously. I sympathize enormously. Okay. But I guarantee you that if you look back in time, there was evidence of this before. It's not, in a weird way, in my, this is all just my opinion, right? So, but in a weird way, Patrick, it's not that she doesn't care about you. It's just that there are so many people in the world, I think more women but that's not particularly important right now. There are so many people in the world who mistake virtue signaling with virtue. And they take a stand that is moral in nature. So she's taken a stand that it is moral to help these refugees they are hard done by people who need love and food and shelter and support, and then they will be nice, wonderful, integrated, culturally enriching, adding to the stained glass diversity, cathedral view and picture of European civilization. So she has taken a moral stand that it is moral to help these people. It's a good Samaritan scenario, if you know your Bible. And therefore, to oppose helping these people is immoral. Now, it has been my experience and distinct observation, and you can run it through your own set of memories and current experiences, that when people take a moral stand, they become immovable. Immovable. They cannot admit they're wrong. They cannot back down. They cannot change their mind. And no amount of evidence will sway their opinion. They become fixed. There's no wiggle room. They're backed into a corner and there's no room to maneuver. So you probably don't know this, but for the Americans, uh, this Corey Lewandowski and Michelle Fields 
situation, which we've done a show on, lots of people came down on, well, you know, this is journalistic integrity and and this is violence on the part of a camp and this moral and this is good and evil. It became good and evil. Michelle Fields, the heart done by a good woman who was almost hurled to the floor in her stripper shoes by an evil, mean Corey Lewandowski and its assault and and, uh, her organization should have stood by her rather than questioning and anyone who questions her is a bad person who hates journalistic integrity. Like when you start creating this black and white world where it's perfect virtue on one side and perfect evil or immorality on the other side, you can't ever switch. You can't ever change. You become immune to evidence because it's a moral thing. To put it another way, Moral people accept that slavery is wrong. Slavery is immoral. Now, let me ask you this. I assume that you're with me on that. (laughs) So, Patrick, is there any amount of argument or evidence that would ever convince you that slavery was morally great, good? No, probably never that would ever happen, no. Right, right. I mean... Raping children, (laughs) let's go even, right? Raping children, a huge, titanic, ferocious, ugly, vicious evil. Let's not Probably the greatest evil in many ways. Now, is there any amount, if someone came up to you and said, listen, I really want to convince you that raping children is really morally good, right? Some crazy whatever, right? Would you ever sit there and say, yeah, make the case? No, I would never, ever take that. Absolutely would never, ever take that argument because it is a moral issue. And when you plant your flag that deep into a moral issue, you are chained to it. You cannot move. And that's fine for things that are genuinely good and right, you know. I mean, (laughs) so your girlfriend, it's not even that she just doesn't like you, but she has been convinced, not by reason and evidence, but by appeal to feminine sentimentality. To view these migrants as like children. And by tying the migrants into the maternal issue, uh, the maternal instincts of women in Europe, uh, it's a feels. And it's morally good to help them. You know, if you found a lost child in the woods, would there be any argument that would have you say, would have you end up saying, Uh, To hell with the lost child in the woods. She looks hungry. You know, she's got some bear scratches on her. But I'm going to keep going because I want to see the northern lights at sunset or whatever, right? There's no no argument would ever have you abandon that child in the woods. You'd stop your hike. You'd help her. her, You'd give her food and water. And you'd try and get her back to civilization as quickly as possible. There's nothing that would have you leave that child behind and keep on walking through the woods. And that is where people are emotionally with regards to this issue, and I would argue women in particular. But again, there's exceptions. So it's not even that she doesn't care about you, it's just the way that you're arguing or the way the information that you're presenting goes smashing up against an absolute sentimental fundamentalism of feels-based moral absolute, and she can't ever be talked out of that moral absolute any more than you could be talked out of opposing slavery or pedophilia or whatever. Does that make sense? It, it um, yeah, sure, it does make sense. Um, uh, I was, you know, we've been talking so much about this, me and my girlfriend, and had some pretty hefty fights. She, uh, so I think she has opened up to it, actually, more recently. I, I mentioned that she's been calling me a racist. That was more in the past. She has been feeling very strongly about it. She watched the video of you and understood things better. 
So, but now her problem, I, you know, she's, she's not uh, immune to the information that I'm giving her, but she is certainly very resistant. I tried to talk to her about it and give her, I just told her that statistics show that people want Sharia in, uh, in, in Denmark, for instance. She well, says, not people as a whole, right? Well, it was 46% of the... No, of course, the Muslim immigrants, yes. Of the Muslim, yeah. I mean, let's be, let's yeah. be clear. Let's, not, let's <laughs> yes. not refer to all Denmark as Islamic oh, yeah. quite yet. Yeah, sure. Um, so I told her that, and, and her first thing was, what is Sharia even? Is it even what Muslims believe in and such? And I couldn't, I couldn't quite believe that. I told her, this is it, and you can study it, you can look it up. And I told her that rape statistics, crime statistics... They are overwhelming compared to the amount of Muslims that are in Denmark. It's it's huge. Um, she do, just doesn't believe that. She 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 wants me to show her the statistics. And I, I, I'm not. Maybe I hadn't find them. Haven't found them. Oh, it's tough. Which statistics does she want to see? She wants to see. Statistics that show the the rape, the rape and uh, the violence, the robberies, or your crime. Well, but what, does she not have hands? Why doesn't she? Why doesn't she look the damn stuff up herself? Yeah, I mean it's not hard to find on the internet. So my question is, why is it your job to educate her about her own damn future? That's true. I mean, assume she believes that women are equal to men, right? And women can type as much as men. Yeah. That's true. I think I'll, I will keep working at this. I will, um, I will try to... No, no, wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Let me, let me just interrupt you for a second there. So you said she used to call you racist more often, and now she is less prone to calling you a racist. Is that right? Yeah, she has not been calling me it since back then. I'm not sh- I right. think she would. Has she, Patrick, has she apologized to you for calling you a racist? I actually can't. When she no longer does it. I actually can't remember. She. You'd remember that, my friend. You would remember that. She hasn't, right? I knew she hadn't uh, before yeah, I even she, asked I, If I asked her today if she still thinks that she will... Tell, tell me to reboot my arguments and such, I suppose. Yeah, okay. So let me, let me tell you a basic fact. I mean, I don't know whether you should stay with your girlfriend or not. I have an opinion, but I'm not dating her. But uh, I will tell you this. The best way to live forever as a slave is to unite your life with someone who cannot admit that he or she is wrong who cannot retract, who cannot apologize. If you are with a person who cannot admit that she is wrong, who cannot apologize and promise to change her ways and make strong efforts to improve, you will live your life as a slave to their tyrannical feelings, opinions, and prejudices for the rest of your natural days. And you might as well be in a Soviet gulag of conformity crazy okay yes and so corner her and find out if she can admit when she was wrong and apologize for it 
because that is the only way you're ever going to get safety and security in a relationship. Yes. That's that's true and it's it's come to this point that's why I write all this that I am actually seriously unsure if this can continue although I I love her with all my heart I you know it sounds crazy to you I, I know that because of the things that you know she has said. Oh god man. Ah, it's so So she is your Muslim refugee. <laughs> all the signs are dangerous. All the signs are problematic. All the signs are future disaster. But you love her. And she with the Muslim refugees, all the signs are disastrous. All the future looks dark and bleak and disastrous. But she loves them. I'll, I'll confirm. And you complain now. that she has an irrational attachment to something that is destroying her? I will... Uh really seriously confront her about these things i will bring her the no, arguments. confront yourself oh. not her confront you you're both doing the same thing do you understand what i'm saying yeah you're both sentimental about something that empirically is bad for you yeah okay and so you're both doing the same thing and this is fundamentally the weakness in europe is that the men are sentimentalizing the women and the women are sentimentalizing the muslims Yes. That's... Are you close to your father? Um, yes, I am. And what does your father think about all of this? Oh, he um, he thinks that he's skeptic towards it. He does not want immigration to Europe to keep happening. And what does he think about your girlfriend calling you a cold-hearted, nasty racist? Mm. Or have you not mentioned that to him? Um, I can't remember if I have mentioned it to him, actually. Okay, uh, well, that's pretty important, and there's a reason you're talking to me rather than your father. Go talk to your dad. Okay. All right. Will you let us know how it goes? Um, yeah, I should write an email, you think? I'd like to, yeah. I'm always, uh, I always like to know what, uh, what happens down the road, and I really, really appreciate you calling in, and, and, you know, do tell your girlfriend that I'm sorry she couldn't be here yeah that would that would be great i will um tell her about that do you have room all right for, if, she wants, um, if she wants to come back on just just let us know do you have room for one more small question i uh, it's have to be very small yeah i understand stop me if it's too much um yeah so i'd like to ask you about uh, why i might be struggling so much in my educations because i'm actually really struggling to learn maths and uh, i'm currently doing programming but I have done IQ tests and I score pretty high. I, I wonder why I have, I'm struggling with my educations then. Because your relationship sucks. <laughs> okay. No, it's, it's, it's exhausting and debilitating wow. to be in a relationship with a woman who's calling you a cold-hearted racist, refusing to apologize, sympathizing with groups that you believe are very destructive. Uh, that is a contradiction in your life and contradictions drain energy. You know, people say to me, Steph, how are you producing so many shows? Well, first of all, I'm just, you know, a parasite of Mike's brain. Secondly, um, it's because I don't have that many contradictions in my life. I don't have people around me that I have to bite my tongue and pretend to be something other than who I am, where there's all these buried conflicts that keep erupting and I don't have anyone who calls me horrible names or negative. Like, I just don't have that. Okay. You know, if you want the water to get from the top of the mountain to the bottom – 
it will get there the fastest with the least resistance, right? A waterfall or throw a, an Evian bottle off the top of the mountain, it'll fly because no resistance, just air resistance, I guess, right? But if the water has to traverse all of these canyons and rocks and pools and, and jigs and jags and valleys, and then it's going to take forever to get to the bottom. The more resistance, the less motion in your life as a whole. You, you, you're worn down by a constant state of hostility and negativity and humiliation, right? Because basically, if you're with a woman who calls you an evil racist, you're saying, I'm not worth much. I, this is all I'm worth. This is all I can't do better than a woman who calls me a racist. That's the best I can do. So when you're insulting yourself that much by staying in the proximity of those who insult you, how engaged is your brain going to be in learning new and exciting and wonderful things and with a clear mind and with the comp? How are you going to feel competent when the woman you claim to love thinks you're a bad person? You can't feel competent. You can't feel excited about your future. You can't feel eager. You can't feel like you have something of value to contribute to the world. Yes, okay. That sums it up, I suppose. That's <laughs> okay. Do you really. Do you seriously believe all this? Because, yeah, okay. It's a little bit mind-blowing to me. You don't know what you can do, my friend, when you are truly, truly loved. When you are truly loved and respected, you have no idea what you will actually be able to do with your life. Right now, you're like someone carrying a cow, saying, wow, Human knees are designed really badly because I'm shaking, they're hurting, I keep falling over. Okay. And uh, you don't know how fast you can run if you drop the cow. Okay, great. I will um, take all this into consideration. All right. So from that on-the-nose analogy, yeah. uh, we will move on to the next caller. Thank you again. That's all right. Bye-bye for now. All right. Up next is Ellie. She wrote in and said, does Eastern Europe stand a chance in the chaos that's about to ensue in the West? And or, what is the best course of action for Eastern Europe now as we again face two fronts, the West that's gone batshit insane on one side, and an already batshit insane Putin on the other? How do we navigate this global madness? That's from Ellie. Hey, how you doing? Hi, how are you? Well, thanks. Well, thanks. Um, anything, anything you want to add to this rather wide of scope question? <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, maybe I was being a little harsh there, but um, it just feel like um, you know, I was I was born in the Soviet Union. I was only five years old uh, when it fell, but um, all my life it felt like we we're, we're living between sort of a, a stick and the carrot. The stick being Russia, and the carrot being the West, because we always wanted to be like the West. You know, we wanted the um, the great economy and the freedom of speech and, and all these things. And now that we're here, um, suddenly we see that Western Europe actually does not want any of that anymore. It just seems like the West is on, um, I don't know how else to call it, suicidal. So on the other hand, Russia is as it always was. It has, uh, nothing's changed. So we're just not sure what's going on here. Are we, are we um, on our own again or, or what's, what's happening? Yeah, I mean... It's a it's a good question, and um, you know I'm I'm no geopolitist, uh, but uh, I can certainly give some thoughts with regards to what's happened in Western Europe 
And I, I, let me let me give you one theory first, Ellie, and, and then you can tell me what you think. Europeans are pretty good at killing. I mean, in terms of like, you know, they've had their empires, they've had their wars, and there has always been a strong martial spirit in Europe. And part of me, you know, I, when you see an entire culture taking all of the steps necessary to create massive violent conflict within their own borders, part of me, I just, I wonder, and tell me what you think, do you think maybe Europeans are just really tired of peace and are just looking for a war? Uh, well, that was going to be my next question. Um, I mean, are we Europeans are, are even capable of peace? Because, um, you know, we had some decades of peace and prosperity, and now it's it's leading. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we're going to have another, you know, crystal night in Europe in, in, yeah. in the next few years. So <laughs> are we just that, you know, are we just that horrible people then? Well, again, horrible or not, I just, um, I wonder, like, I wonder if just Europe has become so decadent that people are just like, eh, let's just set up these problems and set up these problems and set up these problems. And let's go back to what we used to be great at, which was just giant slaughterhouses of a continent. And, um, you know, the, the restlessness and energy, creativity, and nonconformity of the Western spirit has its real plus side. And I think in the free market, it creates absolutely wonderful things. But when combined with the state, European restlessness and nonconformity and so on is very dangerous, very dangerous indeed. And when you see people inviting their historical enemies to come and live, not just to come and live, but to actually subsidize them coming in, the people who have wanted to take over Europe forever, who have it in their ideology to take over the entire world, who are very clear about what it is they want to invite, to pay these people co to come in. I don't know how Europe hasn't just turned into an entire goddamn Fifty Shades of Grey novel. Okay, you can hit me, but only with a barbed whip, and I'll pay you for it. And it's like, I don't know how it, to look at it any other way. It is so completely clear to anyone with half a brain and a, a single functioning eyeball what's going on, it's really impossible to imagine how they don't just want what's coming. Like, they don't just want to have a war. And um, this is uh, somebody who wrote uh, and uh, wrote in from Serbia. He said, I already gave up and moved to Serbia back in 2014. I've had more economic freedom and liberty here than I would have had back in the United States. He said he was in New Jersey. Plus, I live very comfortably now. So I can't imagine going back anytime soon. The Serbians here have even proved to be mostly unaffected by the migrant crisis here, as they offered the migrants land, but the catch was they had to live off the land by themselves, as in no welfare or handouts. Not a single taker. And so they moved on to Germany and Sweden. So good luck but it wouldn't hold my breath. So, um, yeah, I, I think that um, the lack of self-knowledge, uh, lack of uh, listening to philosophers, when people so assiduously pursue a path that is going to lead them into violence, I simply am only going to assume that is the violence they want. Camille Paglia, uh, I think an American um, writer on, on feminism and gender issues. She, she said years ago about women who provoke their husbands into beating them up. It's like, well, maybe is it, it, it's possible that they're just really kinky and like getting beaten up before they have sex because it makes the sex hotter. 
And there are people who are turned on by violence. There are people who only get their emotional energies up and running through violence. They're torpid and depressed in the absence of violence. And it could be that um, Europe has become so torpid and depressed because it's lost its culture, it's lost its history, it's lost any sense of self-respect, it's lost any sense of its own value, that the only way it can rouse itself is through violence, and this is why, sort of unconsciously, this is uh, what is occurring in Europe. It's just a guess. But that level of pathology, that level of self-hatred, that level of openly inviting and paying people coming in who whose ideology wants them to conquer you and subjugate you, it is truly uh, an astounding phenomenon. And at least the Romans, um, well, they just didn't pay their mercenaries. They didn't actually pay them to come in. And <laughs> Anyway, so... Um, it is It is quite something. What the answer is going to be, I don't know. But I think fundamentally, um, it comes down to an ignorance of biology. I know that sounds really abstract, but the more I think about it, which doesn't mean the more I'm right, I'm just, you know, maybe I'm stuck in a groove. But there is such a degree of hatred for white Europeans and, you know, whites all over the world. There's such a degree of hatred. And it is, you know, what people say, well, why are you focusing on IQ? Why are you focusing on IQ? Well, because, because. Because everyone, most people believe, most people believe everyone is the same around the world. That, that you know, Africans are just like Europeans, but they were pillaged by Europeans, and that's why they're poor. And, and Africans, like the, the blacks in America, they're just like everyone else. And so the reason why they're so poor and dysfunctional is because white racism and slavery. So everyone is the same. Therefore, all different outcomes must be due to immorality, must be due to evil, either current evil like racism and systemic blah, 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 or historical evils like um, slavery and colonialism and blah, 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 blah. So everyone is the same, and therefore all disparate outcomes must and can only be due to immorality. And so in white-dominated societies, all non-white groups who do badly must be doing badly because of either current or historical white evil. And that, 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 it sort of follows logically from everyone's the same. And therefore, any group that's doing better as a whole must be doing better, not because they're better, but because they're worse, because they're racist and exploiters and, and so on, right? Like people genuinely make the argument that the only reason America is wealthy is because it had slaves, yeah, like the whole world has had slaves for like 100,000 years, and it sure as hell didn't become wealthy until there was private property rights and self-ownership in the 19th century. So if people genuinely make this case. They look at the sky towers of Manhattan, and they look at the ocean liners, and they look at the roads, and they look at like – and they see, well, that's all built on the skulls and bones of slaves, and the only reason why – and so this basic belief – creates such a vicious amount of self-hatred among whites, and they're continually verbally abused. You're doing better, therefore you must have stolen your wealth from other people. Because it's a zero-sum game, everyone's the same. And this argument that everyone's the same, let me finish in a sec, the argument that everyone is the same is creating such vicious anti-white hatred that unless the facts actually come to the forefront, and the races are not the same, Ethnicities are not the same. The biology, the brain size, the IQ, they're different. Even the level of twinning is different in that sub-Saharan Africans twin 
at four times or five times or six times the rate of East Asians in terms of because you know, our selection and so on, right? So the idea that the races, when separated by 100,000 years of wildly disparate environments, have ended up the same is wildly anti-scientific, anti-biological. And it is a fundamental delusion that literally is destroying the world. Because to think that Europeans are the same as Africans, but Europeans are rich and Africans are poor, therefore the Europeans are rich because the Africans are poor, because everyone's the same, creates massive sympathy towards the Africans and massive hatred towards the Europeans. And this hatred that has been poured into the heart of Europeans, like this repeated leftist viper adder striking at the jugular over and over and over, systemic racism, misogyny, patriarchy, cisgendered scum, whatever, all of this stuff, this Iago vicious verbal abuse poured into white ears for the past couple of generations has borne fruit. And so the Europeans are like, well, People in the Middle East are only dysfunctional because they're not in Europe. Put them in Europe and they'll be just like us. And it's a fundamental rejection of basic biological facts that in the Middle East, and again, these are questionable figures in terms of the detail, but I think in approximation, they're probably somewhat accurate. In the Middle East, you have IQs in the low 80s. In the low 80s. That's lower than American blacks, uh, which clock in at 85 to 87 depending on various measurements. And, you know, it's for a variety of reasons, you know, not least of which, as I've mentioned about a billion times, is because of cousin marriages that drop the IQ 10 to 18 points. So you've got genetically undermined low IQ populations. They're going to come into Europe and they're going to do badly. And because everyone thinks everyone is the same, the only reason that they can be doing badly is because of evil white Europeans, being racist, being scum, rejecting whatever, and being white supremacist. Like, so this fundamental misapprehension is the, and I just mentioned this, it's the greatest lie and falsehood and destructive belief in the world at the moment. And so much of society has been structured around this fantasy that everyone's the same and environment determines everything which is specifically and explicitly rejected by just about every scientific measure that you can imagine. And people who get offended by this, don't shoot me. I'm only the messenger. We've had a wide variety of intelligence experts on this show talking about their data, stepping us through it. We've got the graphs. We've got the sources. Don't get mad at me for telling you that it's raining just because you don't want to get wet. So in Eastern Europe, I don't know what the philosophy is. I've heard some rumblings that women are turning more towards Western-style feminism, which, again, is the same thing. Men and women are absolutely the same, completely identical, and therefore any disparity of outcomes must be due to hateful, heterosexual, white, male sexism, patriarchy, right? And it's nonsense. Men and women are not the same. I mean, even if we take out the biological brain differences, we can at least point out that women have babies and men don't. And again, if you call that unfair, well, don't get mad at me because you don't want to get wet, and I'm telling you it's raining. So I don't know the degree to which there is common sense or at least curiosity about these matters, because all that has to happen to break propaganda is for us to be curious. Curiosity is the antithesis of propaganda. If propaganda tells you, these are the answers, and curiosity says, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to look into that myself. It's called having a brain, being skeptical, thinking for yourself, and following the data. And, uh, you know, for instance, if you look at the disparity in 
the number of blacks in prison in America. Ah, well, so many more blacks are in prison in America. It's got to be because of racism. Well, smart people, people with half a brain and one functioning eyeball will say, okay, that's a hypothesis. And it's a hypothesis coming from the softer sciences of whatever bullshit political science, criminology, nonsense comes up with this stuff. Not that criminology is nonsense. We've had Dr. Beaver on. I like criminology as a whole. But the leftist infection of these things has turned the very softest kinds of hypothesis into a truth more robust than physics. And and this, you know, I remember, you know, I took a course on race relations when I was in university. And um, these were the answers. It is because of racism. And I said, well, you know, West African blacks have a higher per capita income than than blacks, so it can't just be racism because they're physically indistinguishable, particularly in the second generation from um, African Americans. And the teacher was like, well, that's slavery. And it was just, boom, that's the answer. And I remember thinking like, boy, you know, that's a very complex topic. Why are blacks doing so badly in, in America? It's a complex topic. I'd like to know the actual proof behind this thesis. And that's, of course, when I began sort of reading up on this stuff. Like, you know, it seems plausible, but the stuff that seems plausible and is very popular is usually the most toxic and dangerous stuff at all. Plausibility plus popularity equals, eh, sorry, you've just destroyed civilization. So the basic rejection of reality is what destroys civilizations. And the basic rejection of morality is what seals their fate. In other words, the destruction gets set underway through delusion. And then because the delusion is associated with moral good, like earlier in the show, I said, if you take something as a moral absolute, you have no negotiating room. And if you take that talking about any biological differences between the races is evil racism, or talking about white self-interest is white supremacy, or KKK evil Nazi wants to gas a million, right? Then you've no room to negotiate and everybody just has to scream down people who talk about basic biological realities. And, you know, such a society that hurls all of its emotional and moral indignation against people who are speaking basic biological realities, such civilizations, you say, don't deserve in a way to survive, but it doesn't matter what deserve is meaningless in this context. They simply won't. A man who runs off a cliff thinking he can fly, does he deserve to die? Oh, I don't know. I guess his beliefs led him that way, but uh, he sure as heck isn't going to do very well that day. And so I don't know. What are the belief systems out where you are? Do people accept that there are incompatibilities between cultures that can't be solved by wishful thinking? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, maybe maybe it really has to do with this um, this Western guilt, this white guilt. Let's say, you know, oh, we we used to be imperialists, so therefore we must pay now, right? Because that's that's pretty much the, the argument there. Um, well, Lithuania has only been independent for twenty six years, so you know, we're still kind of attached to our country. We still, you know, we value our history and our, our culture. Uh, we we kind of like living here, you know. We feel good about it, so we absolutely do not understand how you just turn away from from everything that that means your you know your nationality, your identity, your culture, everything, and just go like, well, right from now on, everyone's equal, everyone's you know multiculturalism and all that. We just don't get it. And another thing is we uh we're absolutely astonished to hear this this narrative that you know, like you just mentioned, that oh, America was built on 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 on, the, on slave labor and and things like that. That used to be the Soviet Union narrative that we used to hear, right? Because if they want to push their own propaganda, they're going to have to um, 
They're going to need a big enemy. And of course, that was the evil capitalists in the West. So this is what we used to hear. And this is <laughs> it used to be absolutely ridiculous to us because we knew this is propaganda. And now, you know, we're, we joined the NATO, we joined the EU, we feel, you know, we're, we're kind of there. And now the West is saying, oh, actually, yeah, you know, all that was true. Uh, we just, <laughs> well, no, we that's, just... That's, because, that's, because, that's because almost all the intellectuals in the West are various degrees of communists and socialists. And it was an explicit plan of the Communist Party to pretend that everyone was equal and all inequalities results from bad people in charge of capitalism, which is an unjust system. So all the people who created the conditions which led rise to socialism and communism in Europe um, fled communism, came to America and uh, North, uh, North America and Europe and set up the same goddamn system that is resulting in this. It's all communist propaganda, all of this racial egalitarianism. It's all just all communist propaganda. That's not me made up. That's very explicit in the uh, annals of the communist history and their purpose. Exactly. And this is what, you know, um, when I was like 18 or 19 years old, um, we used to hitchhike all over Europe um, with friends and, you know, just go into festivals and, and doing what young people do. And I remember being in Spain. Um, so that's like, what, 12 years ago, something like that. And we were just talking to some local, you know, hippie and then it's a music festival or whatever. And when they learned that we were from Lithuania, they were like, oh my God, you're so lucky. You know, you got to live in the Soviet Union. That must have been so amazing and so awesome. And at first we thought, well, surely they're joking or, or they're high or I don't know so what, what's going on. But no, they were, they were that serious. They really honestly believed that Soviet Union was great, you know, and, and that we were living the dream. And, and we tried to explain to them what it really was and that Stalin was probably even worse than Hitler and, and all these things and Siberian gulags and all that. And they just wouldn't believe us. And, and we were just completely, completely, I don't know, horrified that, you know, you have all the tools to get the information to 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 educate yourself to, but no, there's this this tale that that everyone believes, and we just, for us, it's absolutely incomprehensible because we live there, we know what that we don't want to go back, and yet the West is kind of headed that way, and and we just, I don't get it. <laughs> well, you know, there are two types of public figures in the world: there are the people who will make you feel good, and there are people who will tell you the truth. And people who have any depth or intelligence or moral responsibility or concern for the future will step aside the snake oil salesmen who tell them what they want to hear and who make them feel good. Girl power, right? And they will step aside those people as dangerous sophists who destroy the world. And instead, they will go, they will go to the people and grit their teeth and say, give it to me straight. Give me the facts. Give me what I need to hear to save the world. And right now, the people who tell the people what they want to hear run the world. They run the media in particular. And the people who are telling the truth, uh, who are telling the facts, regardless of what people's feelings are, are very much in the hated minority, as in general, throughout a lot of human history, they have been. I mean, people love the easy drug of syrupy, sweet, decaying words. They do not like the harsh, blunt, basic epistemological truths that make them uncomfortable and set them in conflict with their fellow man and fellow woman. And so sophists drool, philosophers drool (laughs) these days. But, um, you know, you keep making your predictions, and then when you're proven right, you gain authority, even if it's just in hindsight and hopefully not after it's too late. 
Right, but then um, you know you you've mentioned this before, and I again it's quite obvious this um this moral stand. You know, oh, we must help um the less fortunate. We must um you know uh, allow all these migrants in. We must uh, we must give them a hand and and all that. So this is a kind of like like you said, feel good about about myself kind of syndrome. Um, but uh, what I don't get then is actually war going on in Ukraine right now, right? And there's uh, thousands of refugees from the Ukraine and they're not allowed in nobody yep. wants to hear about them and uh, nobody you know and and these are you know your next door people they're you know culturally compatible they're they're basically you know they're like literally um living next door and uh, they're not allowed in uh, I mean we do have some Ukrainian refugees in Lithuania and and they're integrating just fine they're getting jobs they're learning the language everything is absolutely fine we're happy to help but then, uh, you know, recently there was a referendum. Um, Ukraine wants to become, uh, well, eventually EU member state, but for now just um, an associate state. And there was a referendum in the Netherlands and the Dutch people said no. Whereas there's talks about um, letting Turkey into the EU. So how, how does that happen then? What do you mean? How does what happen? Sorry, I just missed that. Um, you know, uh, if if they, they they don't want Ukraine, not even in the EU, they don't even want Ukraine to become a EU associate state, right? But uh, when it comes to Turkey, that's fine. You know, let's uh, let's let, let them all in, let them in the EU, uh, let them travel freely. Um, they do, they they're not going to need visas anymore. That's absolutely fine. So all the Muslim migrants are fine, but you know, like I said, next door people, the Ukrainian people, not so much. What? Oh, right. Well, look, <laughs> the way that decisions are made as a society and for most individuals, right? So the way that decisions are made these days is very simple, and it's called the path of least resistance. So if Turkey is rejected, then Turkey will make a great stink. And there are millions of Turkish people living in Germany, right? They were originally brought in as um, guest workers, right? And they stayed and so on. They've not assimilated. And I think 70% of them are on welfare. So it's the usual nonsense, right? And so if Germany or Europe or, or countries in Europe that have substantial Turkish populations, if they reject Turkey, then they may face civil unrest in their own countries. So they'll accommodate Turkey. On the other hand, not accommodating Lithuania, not, not accommodating Lithuania, what does that cost anyone? People aren't making decisions based on principles anymore. They're making decisions based on which group is going to cause the most trouble. Okay, I'll appease that group. If you are not someone who causes the most trouble, you will get screwed. And this is a race to the lowest common denominator where everyone ends up being like a squawking bird in a nest or they don't get any food at all. I've always had the suspicion in my life, like I'm a pretty nice person and um, not wildly confrontational or anything like that, but I've always had this suspicion in my life that, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, that the person who is the least rational, the least accommodating, the most aggressive, well, that person will get their way. And the person who's most accommodating will get screwed. In other words, to be a reasonable human being is to lose, to be an unreasonable human being is to win. I've always had that kind of suspicion in the world. I will not say that my suspicion has been allayed by the last, I don't know, 49 and a half years. 
So, so the, I, I would imagine that's why it's happening. Right. It's it's hard to disagree with that, but um, I always had a feeling that it's mostly you know the politicians that want to keep the people quiet, right? Because because um, they depend on the right. vote and, and Lithuanians, and all that. So, Lithuanians, so, Lithuanians are more reasonable than Turkish people. And so Turkish people, will, and in general, right? So Turkish people can do more harm to politicians in Europe than Lithuanians can, and therefore Turkish yeah. people will be appeased. Yeah, you see, but that was, that's why it was so surprising to hear that this was not um, uh, some politician who decided. There was actually a referendum in the Netherlands, right? So the people had the say, and they said no to you know Ukraine becoming um, a EU associate state. It wasn't it wasn't just some politician or or for, some, for which, someone for which threshold. you should. For which you should be enormously grateful. They have done you. No, you cannot come on the Titanic. I will not stamp your ticket. You know, I think that that is, you know, staying away from the EU seems like just about the most sensible policy. Heck, if I could go off planet to get further away from the EU, I'd be tempted. So they've probably done you an enormous favor by complying with um, the least rational elements of their society. Like I would give you a tiny example here, right? So I did this this, uh, video on the Gian Gameshi trial. And you don't need the details. You can watch it if you want. But in the judge's ruling, he said, yeah, these women lied under oath. Lied under oath. Repeatedly. Extensively. And the punishment for lying under oath, well, it's a criminal. If it's not civil, it's a criminal offense to lie under oath. And the judge said so. Now, these are women who seem to have not entirely truthfully accused a man of sexual violence uh, towards them. He was found not guilty, at least in all the counts so far. And the judge said they lied under oath. Do you think that these women are going to be pursued for the crime of lying under oath? I've no, I've no idea. I haven't followed that at all. No, so. but do you, do you think that women in general um, are treated, do you think men and women are treated equally in the court systems? Well, I should hope so. They should be. I, I agree with you that they should be, but they won't be. And I can guarantee you beyond almost a shadow of a doubt that these women are not going to be pursued for lying to the police and lying to the court. They're not. Not going to be pursued at all. Now, Mark Furman in the OJ trial um, used uh, the N-word to refer to blacks just under 10 years previously when describing a bad cop character to a screenwriter, and he was nailed for perjury. But these women, um, who, in my humble opinion, largely fabricated a case in order to destroy a man who had spurned them, well, they're not going to be pursued at all. And why? Because Mark Furman, having been branded as a racist in the OJ trial, nobody was going to run to his defense. On the other hand, these women, having been portrayed as noble victims, having been failed by a system that actually demanded they tell the truth, if you were to pursue uh, charges against them for lying under oath, Well, every single nutty feminist and social justice warrior would fall down around your neck and make your life a living hell. And so they don't pursue the charges against the women because their lives get more difficult if they do. And they do pursue the charges against unpopular people because life gets more difficult if they don't. Well, um, to be fair to to us um, back home, this is again a complete mystery. Uh, what's going on with this whole, you know, social justice warrior syndrome and and, and these, I, I don't know why they call feminists, <laughs> you know, feminists are, should be egalitarians, or at least used to be, that's how I understand it, that's how a lot of people understand feminism, 
Um, so uh, to us, it's it's just uh, incredible how to to what level all this has gotten. I mean, you know, um, back home. It's, but that's it's but that's still, because yes. that's 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 just sorry to interrupt, Ellie. But that's just it's just a matter of following incentives. It's just a matter of following incentives. So if feminists can convince a particular group that women are underrepresented in that group, right? So there was um, an issue that came up, uh, I don't know, a couple of months or maybe a year ago, where I think it was a British biologist. He was 73 years old, a British scientist. He said, well, you know, the trouble with having women in science is you fall in love with them. They fall in love with you. And when you criticize them, they cry, right? And it was kind of like a joke. Uh, but, you know, he, he ended up getting fired and, you know, all this usual junk and garbage and, and all that. And so what happens is if you can convince scientists that women are exactly the same as men, women don't have kids, they're not closer together on the IQ curve and less spread out as men are, and that women have the same amount of testosterone, which to some degree drives aggression and assertiveness, which you kind of need to to succeed in the sciences – if you can convince everyone that men and women are the same, exactly, then all disparities, again, must be due to male sexism. And what that means is that you can get yourself a tasty six-figure salary as a diversity coordinator, as a gender equity consultant, and you can get lot, paid lots of money. And then what you can do is you can initiate policies that discriminate against men, and then you get to hand out jobs to women. So you are in the position of creating jobs, of handing out jobs, and women benefit because women get relatively cushy government scientist jobs that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten if they were in free competition with men. So there's huge amounts of incentives because you just you hand out free stuff. You hand out free stuff to people. Um, and so, and so, so hang on. So, so what happens is if people are going to give you free advantages – I mean, who wouldn't take those, especially if you believe that you're doing the right thing and uh, gender equity and, you know, you're writing in historical injustice of the patriarchy and so on. So you get your, your, your fundamentalism of feels goodness. Oh, it feels like I'm just such a wonderful human being addressing all these equities and so on. And you get well paid for doing so. So you get moral posturing self-congratulation, which is like a drip, drip opium, opiate for, for most people. You get moral self-congratulation. You get prestige, you get to be a groundbreaker, and you get a plum six-figure-plus job, a $100,000 or more job with tenure, with summers off, with sabbaticals. I mean, who wouldn't want that? I mean, trying to convince people to not do that is trying to go to a poor person who just won a million dollars in the lottery and say, well, you shouldn't really cash that in because the government's going to have to print the money to pay you that, and it's going to dilute the value of money for other people, and it's going to take more than a million dollars out of your account. They're going to be like, get out of my way. I'm going to cash my ticket in. So in a sense, I don't blame the people for wanting free stuff. I don't want, I mean, of course, it's just, it's really up to philosophers to make a good case as to why that's immoral. And up to people to actually listen to philosophers, but then there are other people out there offering them a far more pleasurable experience of being of being um, told what they want to hear. And so, I mean, you don't see feminists saying, well, I find that women are vastly underrepresented in the sewage cleaning business. So we're going to create these giant programs to get more women into the sewage cleaning business and the garbage man business and the lumberjack business and the hauling wood and rocks business and the moving business and you know like they just don't say that 
We need more female coal miners because there aren't enough blackened boobs in the world. You know, like they don't because the women don't want those jobs. Of course, they don't want equity in the areas where women don't want to be. They want equity in the areas that is free stuff for women. I mean, it's got nothing to do with equity as a whole. It's just your usual socialist cash grab. Right. You know, um, you're demanding to, um, again, it, it, to me, it just comes back to egalitarianism. So, you know, um, nowadays, uh, a woman can do whatever she wants, right? She can, you know, like I said, Lithuania has a, a, Lithuania, um, a woman president. So for us, you know, that's it. You do have um, equal opportunities. You can do whatever. And that's it. That's where it stops. Whereas it seems like, you know, in in the States and Western Europe, um, they don't want to be just, you know, they don't just want equal opportunities, but they want they want privilege, right? Um, so if, if, if you want privilege, that means you're somehow less fortunate or less capable. So... <laughs> Essentially, they're demeaning themselves. So, what the hell is? What the hell is? I, I just, I just fail to understand this whole thing. Yeah, but people, people can't legitimately and believably say, "I want something for nothing at the expense of innocent people," right? I mean, because that—that's a pretty <laughs> tough thing to sustain, you know. I mean, that's basically just being a mugger, right? <laughs> so, people, what they want to say is. I should have had more, but historically it was stolen from me. So this is restitution or reparations. It's just making things equal again to give me a whole bunch of free stuff because stuff was stolen from me in the past. And that's the poor and that's the third world and that's women and that's other minorities. And stuff has been stolen from me. I just want my bike back, mean Mr. Bike Stealer. I mean, this all because, you know, just saying, well, I want to disadvantage men who've never been sexist towards me so that I can get free stuff at the expense of others, well, that's a little tougher to sell than, uh, well, you know, uh, historically there's been an exclusion and it's unfair and all these people have benefited and now it's time to even things out. So we've got to take a little bit from these people. And it's just, you know, I mean, that's just the sales job. That's what sophists do is they make theft taste like meringue. Right. Well, uh, again, just mentioned this, you know, historically, um, uh, the, this was denied to me, or I was somehow, you know, uh, between just all go back, like, oh, historically, this country uh, was occupied by that country, and so on. Well, you know, if we go back there, then the whole world needs to go to war, like right now, because there's so, there used to be so many um, disputes over land and territory, and so on and so forth, that, you know, if we want to even everything out, everyone just needs to go to war, then, if, if that's the logic that the people follow. I mean, that's if you want to see something funny, I think you're right, but if you want to see something funny, you can do a we'll link to this below. There's an Imger or Imger picture. The defense ministers of Sweden, Norway, the Netherlands, and Germany versus the defense minister of Russia. And the defense ministers of Sweden, Norway, the Netherlands, and Germany are like these smiley, happy ladies who look like they're all getting together to create a bake sale uh, to send kidneys to the third world. Uh, you know, very, very nice people. You can almost smell the aroma of banana bread uh, and privilege coming off them. Whereas the, the defense minister of Russia, who's below in this picture, you know, is like a dour guy who looks like not a single facial smile muscle in his entire gene pool and looks like Kevin Spacey constipated about to shit an ICBM sideways. And just the idea that, you know, who would you want to give your defense to? Uh, these nice ladies who don't mind showing a bit of leg and who dye their hair or this dour looking Russian guy who looks like he ate a tank for breakfast. Um, I think I know who I'd go with. Right. And 
And, you know, that's, that is pretty much uh, one of the challenges of today for us. I mean, you know, the Baltic countries, the four countries. Um, on the West, we have, um, what, what do you have? Hashtags, you know, and, and, and some Facebook posts. And on the other hand is Russia. And it's very, the danger is real. You know, we warned um, the West about Georgia. When, when Russia invaded Georgia, we said, oh, it's not going to end there. Ukraine next. And of course, we were called out, oh, you know, you're just being paranoid, you little crybabies. Um, then Ukraine happened, you know, Crimea is occupied by Russia right now, right? And and it's not going to stop there as well. Um, but uh, it's listening to us. And to top that off, I mean, right now, you know, Poland and Hungary, especially, they're being called racist and Nazis and fascists because they don't want the uh, the third world migrants into their country. So we, we kind of well, and so you know, sorry, sorry. So, again. so so those countries, th- this is the choice. You send bad words our way, we'll send Muslim migrants your way. Now, I can ignore your bad words. I'm not sure you'll be able to ignore the migrants. Exactly. That's exactly what's happening. Right. So as far as what the solution is, well, people, you know, everybody has that choice. Every culture, every individual, every country, every civilization has that choice. And the choice is... Do you want to listen to the people who are going to tell you what you want to hear and make you feel good in the moment? Or do you want to listen to the people who are going to tell you the truth, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable in the moment? You know, if you've got an odd lump in your body, you go to a doctor, do you want the doctor to say, oh, it's fine, it's nothing, just going to go away on its own, don't worry about it? Or do you want the guy to say, I don't know, we've got to get a biopsy, I don't know, let's go find out what that thing is. Well, the first guy is going to make you feel good and you can walk out of there feeling better. Second guy is going to make you feel bad but could very well save your life. Right, and just the last question, I guess. Um, what do you think um, a course of action should be for like, every individual who feels that something should be done, but are not quite sure what exactly, because they're not, you know, they're not public um, figures, they're not politicians, they're just regular people. Um, they feel oh, that no, there, no. there should no, be no. change, but... No, the excuse of being a regular person has not held since the late 90s when the internet came along. Everybody has a platform. Everybody has a platform. Everybody can speak to the entire world. Everybody. Everybody has a megaphone that can be heard across the four corners of the planet. So, you know, whether there are politicians, God, I mean, who really listens to and trusts politicians or, or the mainstream media and newspapers are dying a papery death. So you get out there, you speak the truth, you raise your barbaric yorp above the rooftops of the world and you bring facts to people. And you can bring facts to people in your personal life. You can bring facts to people on the internet. You can bring facts to people socializing. You can bring facts to people. Have uncomfortable conversations with people. Bring information to people that they need to hear and take the bullets, so to speak. People might dislike you. They might get upset with you. They might shun you. They might, yeah. It's still better than war, people. (laughs) It's still better than war, at least for men. Absolutely, but okay, promise the real last thing um what scares me the most i guess is people who are absolutely indifferent you know you can try talking to them and bring their attention to things but they're just absolutely completely not interested like you know um when when brussels good sorry to interrupt but but don't let those people stop you ellie don't let those people stop you don't the people who just don't want to hear and la 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 they put their hands you know, so in their ears. So long as they're personally they, not inconvenienced, they're not going to do anything. They're not going to. They just good. No, look. Okay, fine, fine. You know what the great thing is about telling people the truth? You don't care a goddamn bit 
when the evils they ignore take them down. You absolve yourself of responsibility and you absolve yourself of any emotional impulse to mourn their ending. That's the benefit. That's the gift you get from talking to indifferent people. You say to somebody for 40 years, you got to quit smoking. Listen, I'll get you into a smoking cessation program. I'll buy your nicorette. You got to quit smoking. And the guy's like, ah, you're, you're an asshole. You're, you're a jerk. Stop interfering with my pleasure. You're wrong. Smoking is good for you. And you bring him the facts and you bring him the facts. And then he gets uh, sick and are you going to mourn bitter tears? No. Guy had 40 years of opportunities to turn around, to change his mind. You don't owe him a lung anymore. Well, that's what happens to stupid. It ends. So you can go to all the people and you can tell people all the truth. And this is my gift to myself in the future. I'll tell you this very personally, Ellie, heart to heart. I've not talked about this before, but this is my gift to myself in the future is that I worked as hard as humanly possible to bring as much dangerous truth to the world as I could. I worked as hard as humanly possible. And what that means is that if the civilizations, the cultures, and the countries that had one click away access to what I'm saying, if those cultures and countries ignore me, attack me, insult me, slander me, deride me, then if they end, I am free of mourning. I am free of sadness. I am free of regret because I did everything I could, made everything as available as humanly possible, took bullets and risks that almost nobody else in the world in this kind of public sphere is taking, brought as much and as entertaining and as engaging and as enjoyable. A show, a conversation, facts, experts, my books are all free. The videos are all free. You can't even bring up the cynicism of, oh, he just wants YouTube revenue because I don't get any, not one penny. So I have made this conversation as accessible as humanly possible. The facts are right there. One click away. I'm even doing videos that are less than a minute long now. The facts are easily available, which means no one has a single goddamn excuse for ignorance. Because if you've heard this and you've listened to this and you haven't shared it and you know how important it is, then if people who ignore reality get wiped out, I will not mourn. Because they did it to themselves with everyone yelling, turn back, turn back, turn back. Here are the facts. Turn back, turn back, turn back. And if they just sleepwalk off a cliff because they can't be bothered to wake up, I will not mourn that. That is my gift to myself in the future. I hope they listen, just as you hope the person who's quitting smoking is going to listen. But if you've told someone for 40 years that they're eating too much, that they're going to get sick, they're going to get diabetes, they're going to have problems. Well, let's say that they get sick. They lose an eye and they say, well, now you've got to donate an eye to me. I'm like, nope. Sorry, I'm sorry, but I have no regret because this is what nature does to people who ignore reality. It's not my fault. It's not my doing. In fact, I'm doing everything I can to prevent and avoid these disasters. 
But I will look at it in the future. I will not be happy about it. But I guarantee you this. I will shed not one tear. Not one single solitary tear for the fate of those who steadfastly refuse to listen to reason and evidence. And that's the gift you give to yourself by telling people what the facts are, what the reality is, what the most likely consequences are of the current course of action. And if they mock and laugh and attack and if you're racist, you say, okay. So if you're that hateful and horrible a human being that you attack people telling you simple truths designed to help save your life, well, are you going to mourn their passing? Let me give you the last analogy. We'll go back to the smoker. So you say to someone, listen, you, you really better. No, I've used the smoker one. Let me try another one. Some woman wants to get married to a guy. who has got a criminal record for violence. Got all the tattoos you could imagine. Doesn't have a job. And beat up his last three girlfriends, putting one of them in the hospital. And she wants to get married to this guy. And you say, listen, you... you you can't. I mean, this is a disaster. This man has got bad news written all over him. It's going to end badly. And she's like, you just hate the fact that I'm in love. You're just a bitter old person who just hates the fact that I've found love and you haven't. And then she writes what a bad person you are all over the internet. And she gets you fired. And she starts spreading terrible rumors about you to all of your friends And then she tells your children what a terrible person you are. And she just works as hard as she can to make your life a living hell. And let's say her husband comes home drunk and she needles him and she bitches at him and she nags him and she starts to hit him. And then he clocks her and breaks her nose. Ellie, what would you feel in that situation? <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's a perfect analogy. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I leave that to the listeners, too. Be honest with yourself. Yeah. The woman you tried to help tried to destroy your life, provoked a situation that was easily avoidable, and is suffering negative consequences. What do you feel? I'm not even going to tell you what I feel. I guess the people on the video can have some sense of it. But that's the gift you give to yourself when you try to help people, is that if they attack and reject you, you are not obligated to feel a goddamn thing about the fate they have willingly stepped over you to march towards. You can't fix stupid, but reality sure can, and it always does. All right, I'm going to end the show there, but thank you very much. To the callers, as always, a great pleasure to chat with y'all, the best, smartest, wisest, and hopefully most generous listeners, freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show. Let me try it again, but without screaming (laughs) or that weird little half scream I do. Freedomainradio.com slash donate, he said in his best Venus Rising FM voice. And uh, FDRURL.com slash Amazon to use our affiliate link. It costs you nothing. You're going to go buy something. Just, you know, bookmark it. Just put it in your, uh, put it in your, um, set of pages that open up when you open your browser, just in case you want to do any shopping. won't do you any harm. And it helps us 
and uh, FDR URL, sorry, FDRpodcasts.com, FDRpodcasts.com uh, to share podcasts. Uh, you can do that very easily. And last but not least, freedomainradio.com slash free if you'd like to pick up some of the free books that I've talked about. We need your help, of course, as we continue to grow. Um, reason stands between us and certain disaster uh, on a global scale. I think we're one of the pillars in the way. I hope that you will help us out. Like, subscribe, and share what it is that we're doing. If it's not you, it's no one, at least in your world. So thank you, everyone, so much. Have yourselves a wonderful week. I guess we'll be talking to you tomorrow night on the next call in show.